some of the best work in advertising, communication and marketing is the result of great agency and brand partnerships. What makes some of the best working relationships between brands and their creative teams? Why do some collaborations work effectively while others lead to uninspiring work? In this episode, we are joined by Colin Makubela, a multi-award winning executive creative director who cut his teeth as a copywriter and strategist for brands like Nike, First National Bank, Lucozade and many others. He honed his skills at some of the leading local and multinational agencies including Ogilvy & Maytha, JWT, DDB South Africa and a host of other leading multi-award winning agencies. Colin is currently helping to build an integrated creative communications framework at McDonald's South Africa's leading boutique agency, Pasina Mix. We discuss his experiences on what makes some of the best brand and agency collaborations, having gone from working with Nike and other brands, then switching roles between brands and agencies. He mentions trust as one of the key issues between brands and their agencies. The pitching model for agencies also comes up and may need to be reconsidered if brands want communication work that delivers the greatest impact. He also highlights bringing the lived experience into brand messaging. Why do some brand and agency teams stand out in their brand communication? What helps to make global brands locally relevant and entrenched in various markets in a way that makes them part of the local culture and vocabulary? This episode explores some of the answers and creative solutions to some of these and other questions. But then I love what you said by expanding it to say data in isolation is not the whole picture. It's a habit, right? People are not habits. People can change their habits on any given day if their motivations, needs, and wants change. It just gives you so much of a fuller picture. And in most cases, the agencies tend to come with that breadth of a scope for for the consumer in a way that the data in itself doesn't reveal. And there's a reason for that. Welcome to The Lead Creative, where we talk to the creative minds behind some of the leading brands, businesses, organizations, and top ideas that we all love. Our chats range from building brands, conceptualizing new products, strategy, and building businesses. I'm your host, Mongezim Tati. Colin, it's great to have you on the Lead Creative as our Lead Creative on this episode. Word, finally got you, man. You finally opened some of my emails, you know, trolling you to get me on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are, you are the busy creative mind who's changing the world out there, you know? <laughs> So Colin, just to kick off the conversation, you've been both on the brand and agency side across various creative teams, and I've mentioned some in the beginning just now. What makes these branded agency collaborations work in your view? Thank you again for having me here. Good question. In fact, that question is more elusive than most people suspect, you know, because it, it's, a, it's a pursuit most of us, you know, are driven by, but don't feel we've arrived at yet. I mean, just judging from my experience, which is literally a speck of dust in the face of the cosmos. Mm. I mean, if I had to use my tenure at Nike uh, around the time we worked on Nike, uh, on Nike Run Josie, it was really the client 
being able to step back and trust the agency as the experts in their field, you know, to lead the charge on trying to find a, a solution that would bode well for their brand, you know, yeah. because the frustration tends to come from being hired to render a service, but being given, you know, being managed with kid gloves, you know, either, you know, you get, they call it analysis, uh, paralysis by analysis, you know, where everything is subjected to asinine scrutiny, you know, or there's almost, um, you know, you're not allowed to literally bring your your free thinking, your agility, your out-of-the-box thinking. You know, you put in this box where from you need to originate all these great solutions and still get subjected to being marked on whether you hit the KPI or not, you know, so it's quite contradictory. So in my experience, I find that when the agencies are given free reign to boldly go where no other agency has gone before to find the solutions, it tends to work well. You know, I'll so- go back to that. I mean, you mentioned a lot of important things there, one of them being trust. And I want to go back to the trust thing in a moment. The brand you're referring to here is Nike. And Nike is known to you know push the envelope across the globe not just in South Africa, not just with Josie. And Ron Josie was one of those iconic runs or at least iconic events that occurred on the Johannesburg calendar at the time that it did. Um, does it take a certain kind of brand or does this work across any and all brands? I mean, I know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly ob- obvious-ish question, but not really. Does it really work across all brands or does it take a brand like Nike to lead the charge? Hmm. For me, I think it's not a, an inherent Nike best practice. You know, I just think Nike is more, you know, one of the more progressive brands, you know. But, I mean, if you look at the, the, the work that Unilever puts out globally, yes. uh, and I know I don't want to make this a local versus global, you know, Many brands globally pioneer the Nike method and Nike themselves are not the, you know, the leaders in that style. It's just that locally uh, we're still trying to have a more progressive, you know, um, agency client model, you know, where it's more of a partnership than just service provider production or execution based, you know. So when you allow to think, you know, because you know, I say to my teams, you know, our biggest commodity is our thoughts, our, you know, lived experiences, because anybody can do a lockup, anybody can write a headline, maybe some do it better than others, you know, but being able to pioneer solutions, think, you know, and literally help the brand find its feet and its voice, you know, in a way that it hasn't been able to, you know, that's that's something that a liberated agency or client agency partnership is able to to garner. Yeah, so it's trust. It's, um, yes, and it's just that horizontal, you know, way of relating to each other, you know, without it feeling like the client is hold, holding a, you know, a wooden cane or ruler, which they're going to whack you with if you don't do the right job, you know, I think it's, it's more partnership than anything else because clients have got the IP, you know, they've got the strat, they've got the data, that is their strength, you know, but we then can liberate that data so that it becomes insightful, you know, to, to the kind of stories that uh, we're trying to tell, 
you know, in a way that the brand can't. So it is almost like a yin and yang, you know, that the brands that are able to yin and yang together, it usually doesn't happen overnight and they need to allow that process to happen organically. You know, uh, if you look at Wyden and Kennedy Awards, they've been with Nike since its inception. So it's taken them decades to, to get to where they are. And I feel that there's a lot of attrition locally, you know, like at most three years is the time that's put forward for an agency to help the brand find its, its feet. And that's sometimes not feasible. And where's that line, the, the partnership line? Like, how do you get to that point where, where it's a partnership between the brand and the agency or a partnership between a creative team and the brand? Because more often than not, the brand feels that they know themselves a lot, a lot better than a creative team. And the creative team comes in with insights that, of course, should be trusted to execute on a plan that the brand themselves want to live up to, or at least a promise that they want to live up to as a brand. How does this partnership work? How do you get to that point? I mean, it's uh, to, to relate it to life. You know, I think it starts with how you know bids get awarded. You know, uh, it starts with how the, the pitching process. It's no different to dating. Yes. You know, there has to be chemistry. Uh, sometimes. An agency that might be renowned might not cut it, you know, with the clients that it enthuses to do work for because on a cultural and chemistry level, they're not vibing, you know, and I've seen this firsthand, you know. So I think sometimes the the pitch, the pitching process doesn't allow enough vibing, you know, to be to be tested, you know, because you might be good for somebody on paper. But the moment you start to work with them, you might find that there's legacy issues or, you know, mm. you know, the culture might just not be conducive to that trust and partnership and openness, you know, and exploration to, to take hold, which are the hallmarks, you know, to doing great work. So I think, I mean, I'm not here to, you know, call agencies to arms to, you know, to charge the best deal of pitching process and revolutionize it overnight. I just think that it helps when, you know, there can be sufficient FaceTime chemistry sessions, mm. uh, look at the body of work that an agency has done, and for the agency as well to be able to almost get acquainted with the client before they enter into any engagements, you know, to see if, you know, because behind every brand is a person, you know, behind every agency is a human, you know, so... I feel that we only meet each other once, you know, the contracts have been signed. Then we stuck with each other for the next three or so, you know, so more years. And I mean, I think there's only one client that, you know, was almost on that train. Uh, Hyundai, you know, before they award or invite anybody to pitch, they literally do a roadshow where they visit every single agency and they just have this chemistry session. I think that's what they call it. You know, you'll talk. You know, you, you might showcase some of your work, but it's not even about the work. You know, it's just to really see that, you know, there's compatibility, you know, between both agencies, you know, like cultural relevance. You know, you might just claim that you've got the right people to do the work. But if you don't see the people beforehand, you might be in for the shock of your life, you know. So I think we just need a more, yeah, the, the, the pitching model is not conducive to getting, you know, you know, to, to helping both parties suss out the compet mm. competitivity, which is a big issue. 
so so that yeah so 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 the chemistry and the relationship building up front is is important and yet you don't want to put the cart before the horse um, exactly. in, a, in a way where you build a relationship and you're not going to work together that's so true i mean i've worked with agencies where clients have never set foot in our offices in the you know entirety of our tenure with them and that's that's crazy you know i think i was still in working in town at trigger isobar and because you know there was the stigma about town being inhabitable and dangerous you know people steered far from from that space but i mean it's that it's been based within the cbd that we're able to originate this idea of Ran Josie to say and and that's that's got meanings on various uh, on various levels you know like you can run Josie you know you can own it you know and bring traffic to a standstill so that you could you could you can do you and we could not have cracked that campaign had we not been you know based in the epicenter right. of of the madness or the crazy so exactly. it's just things like that you know it's almost like a long distance relationship that's expected to have a chance when it might not mm. in some in some of our episodes the previous episodes that we've had it came out that trust between the brand and agency is significant in getting inspiring work out there work that is sometimes risky but wins hearts and persuades the customer you've also mentioned it just now as well you mentioned it a couple of times in fact um during this conversation how do you build this trust as both a creative team and a strategist in that team uh what i've found works i mean i've worked and you've alluded to this in your very eloquent introduction that i've been based on client side nike and i've also worked on agency side and i find that the people that are able to broker that trust and partnership you know which we all strive to have are people who've experienced or who've worked across that divide you know the brand people who've had agency exposure tend to be the ones that facilitate that mirth and likewise agency people who've got the exposure of clients and who speak client you know are able to broker peace in the proverbial mid- middle east <laughs> that divides clients and agencies you know mm. so part of it is you know you know when you cocooned in your space and that's all you know i i tend to find that 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 is not always conducive to being able to struck or strike a chord with the other side so it's about getting out of your comfort zone you need not have worked in a corporate but you know you need to uh have been in the space of your clients you know and feel comfortable in it you know not feel like an outsider and um also I mean one thing that we're pioneering where I am now you know I'm working with McDonald's uh whenever before a brief even gets written and gets dispatched to an agency they have what they call um a connections brief right all the partners from digital SEO through the line we all meet at the client's offices with the clients and we discuss the brief that they want to share with all of us you know then that allows us to all make inputs you know and say okay you know we share case studies we share some of our work as agency that client might not have been privy to which might you know serve as the best practice or as mm. the barometer of what we're trying to hit you know so we basically broaden our you know we we literally brainstorm you know where we say okay we need to expand the scope of this brief maybe the budget is not on our side maybe the time is not on our side but you know when you have people from different quarters coming together in the crafting of a brief there's better ownership everyone walks away from that table 
being confident that they can execute and exceed expectations because they were part and parcel of the conversation. You Which know? makes sense so because, yeah. because all these disciplines approach it from different perspectives and sending out, um, and I suppose sending a piece of communication to all the various disciplines without them coming together and meeting can sometimes lead to, I suppose, different outputs with all the players. Well said, it's inclusion. In fact, I've just had that epiphany right now. Part of the ingredients to having that trust and nurturing is inclusion. If you feel excluded, you can't really own the process in the way that you might have if you were there from the inception. You know, and I'm finding that inclusion is doing wonders for McDonald's, you know, because no brief goes out which no agency is privy to. And that's the difference because now it sets the bar high for the agency to deliver on that promise that they themselves committed to in the room. Which makes perfect sense. And uh, by the way, congratulations on your new role as the integrated communications lead with McDonald's South Africa and Pasina Mix. Much appreciated, bro. <laughs> How do you see congratulations this? Congratulations kind of- on your platform. You know, this podcast is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for your kind words. How do you see this kind of partnership shaping brand communication for a brand like McDonald's, for instance? The fact that you know, there is this more integrated approach, this approach that kind of starts from within the brand very closely with all the players. If you're enjoying The Lead Creative, please take a moment to share this episode with your network. Please hit subscribe or follow this podcast to get our latest episodes. Enjoy the show. All right, so for me, it's, um, I think for a brand like McDonald's, if I understood you correctly, it's more imperative for them, you know, to, you know, to drive their agenda of inclusion because they're a global brand, right? They're up against, you know, maybe not a KFC because that's also technically global, but they've had more time to entrench themselves to the local market to the point where they're not perceived as outsiders. But McDonald's, you know, in our competitor analyses, you know, it, it's still, you know, it, it's still not the people's brand that it endeavors to be. And we're all full aware of that. Right, it's still not a chicken licking, right? The chicken licking voice, story, heritage, it's, it's part and parcel of the people that it tries to serve. So, where maybe a self aware brand, a confident locally entrenched brand like Chicken Licking might not need to get as partners as intimately in their space as it, it might have, for McDonald's is important because for them to really be accepted to form part of the psyche of the local consumer as an outside brand that only got to these shows in 95, you, you can't rely on your own people. You know, you have to get that outside influence, people who've worked on a chicken lick and people who've worked on a mainstay South African brand to try help it not lose itself in the process of trying to connect with its consumers. So connections briefs really become important because we almost can help the brand to immerse itself better, but without also seeming disingenuous. Or Trust is not just um, a means of exchange between agency and agents uh, and, and clients. Mm-hmm. Trust is also the currency between customers and brand. And any wrong footing on the part of the brand drives the consumers farther and farther away from where it would want them to be. So 
us connecting with the brand as partner agencies to help it find itself, to find its feet, to find its voice, while still being quintessentially McDonald's, is another part of the motivation for them to try integrate with, with their partners even deeper than their competitors do, because they're still far from, you know, for, from being naturalized <laughs> as, as a global sense, brand. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if I answered you there. No, no, you um, did. You did. You did. I mean, very, very clearly and very eloquently <laughs> with, uh, with great depth because, <laughs> because it makes sense that as a relatively new entrant in this space, you want to gather as much insights and as much knowledge of the local context as possible in order for you to claim your space as a brand. With so much consumer data available today, how can brands make better sense of it to help create inspiring work that drives results? I mean, you talk about the fact that insights is an important part, and yet, you know, we put out so much data about ourselves as consumers out there, and yet sometimes brands don't make great sense of it, you know? Should data drive creative output in some or other way? In fact, that's the, that's the holy grail <laughs> that everyone is after right now, you know? And I'm glad you're asking me this question because data, just like digital at its inception, is becoming a, a buzzword, right? Some yes. people have an inkling of it. Others use it for expediency purposes because, you know, it's become a decider. There is a place for data, of course, in the global context, we, we still have lots of steps to take before we can really come into our stride. Mm -hmm. But data for me and the way I discuss data with my clients and my teams alike, data for a brand, another brand I've worked for, a DSTV, for example, is crucial, right? Because there you want to segment your, because of the nature of the product, right? Like a decoder is not a monolithic thing. I buy, maybe I might invest in a DSTV product because I like sports. You might do it for reality. Somebody else might do it for music. I don't know what, you know, the culture leans yeah. towards. Somebody else so might, might, some, might like news or something. Exactly. Or something like so there, data becomes crucial in understanding the nuances of your customers so that you can segment them so that you can then start feeding them relevant personalized information about what to look forward to because there's so much competition, you know, there's Netflix, there's top TV. I know they're not there anymore. I'm just being proverbial. Yeah. So I find that data helps when you want to be able to segment your clients just to avoid fatigue. You know, there's nothing like being exposed to the same message 10 times in yes. a week about yeah. the same product. You know, it just says you either don't know me or you don't get me. So, you know, the cycles of information the, you know, the, the frequency, the platforms that you reach me at, you know, it has to be so well curated that once you've hit me on a banner, you don't do it again unless if you're being deliberate because maybe I'm still making my way down the consideration funnel. You know, maybe I'm still on the fence. Maybe I'm just too busy and I've got no time to convert yet. But Everything has to be guided. Everything has to be purposeful. And in that regard, data becomes important, you know, because we know who to talk to when, what their habits are, and when to stop. <laughs> and that's, that's where data becomes important. But data yeah. itself is not the story you want to tell. Data itself is not the insight. Yes, so a piece of yes. data might say, 
Colin reads the La Duma at Wednesday at eight, but the insight, you know, might be that Colin is feverish about checking the fixtures because he knows when he's going to, when he gets to the office, if you know, that rivalry, that boys rivalry of, hey, your team did badly the night before. Yes. It's, it's what's keeping Colin on the back foot. You know, he doesn't want to miss out on the score because he knows it's going to be the point of debate when he gets to the office. Yes. And, and also, and also it might be that he's preparing for the weekend, right? Because it's Wednesday. Exactly. Why is Colin at La Duma? Is it an emotive reason? Is it an, so the motivation comes from the insight, but the data is almost like the point of origin. You know, Colin has the same behavior which he repeats without fail, but the data is not the why. Now, yes, I'm fascinated by this point, and 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 there are a couple of things that come to mind about the data that's available on a single consumer on this one consumer. I mean, to use the you know to use the 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 subscription TV model, for instance, should the brand be studying data on what the person consumes out of their channels, or should they also be looking at what the person tells them across digital platforms so that they have added insight on this individual so that they serve them better content? Or is it studying data from from a single aspect, like from the aspect of what I consume, what channels I kind of consume um, from a DSTV, to use that example. The, the, the way you've, you phrase that question is so profound because it contains the answer, you know. So data is the point of origin, right? And client is the custodian of the data. They have it. You know, they've got data scientists who mine it day in, day out. But where the agency comes in, we're able to take that point of data, which is a point of origin, and interrogate it. All right. So we interrogate the why. Why is this guy so obsessed with the fixtures? You know, office rivalry plays a big point in that. That's an insight. Right? That's outside of the Bay data, but it's inferred. But then I love what you said by expanding it to say data in isolation is not the whole picture. It's a habit. Right. People are not habits. People can change their habits on any given day if their motivations, needs, and wants change. So when you look at the entirety of the person's belonging to because we live on social media, right? We live online. When you're able to now piece the pieces together, you know, to say, oh, Colin, part of vocal member of Black Twitter, always the first to talk about Sunday TV, to talk about our perfect wedding. It just gives you so much of a fuller picture. And in most cases, the agencies tend to come with that breadth of a scope for, for the consumer in a way that the data in itself doesn't reveal. And there's a reason for that. DSTV only has my uh, my user data, where if you do an, an immersion of my online behavior, the agency having more than one client to deal with, you'll find that you get a better picture of the consumer if you look at them from different brand lenses. Colin, who has DSTV, also runs with Nike, also uses Domestos, also goes to Global Citizen. Yes. The agency has has that brought, you know, because, you know, we, don't, we just don't serve one agency. We're able to track you across our different spheres of the, of, of the clients we serve. And that's mm-hmm. where we're able to bring the fullness of the consumer to, to corroborate with the data or not. You know, so we're able to explode the data because our dealings with different clients 
help us paint a better picture of who this consumer is from different touch points and so forth. Has it made your job better as a creative mind, as a strategist, as somebody who's involved with brands over the past, call it, say, 10 years with the more data that you get on a consumer? Or has it improved things? Has it changed things? Because one of the things that we are realizing, or at least I'm realizing, and you also see this across Twitter by the number of people who are agitated by certain brands, that even though there's all this data, we still get it wrong. So does it make your work as a creative mind better, worse, more effective, or less effective? Uh, I don't think, you know, data in itself is not bad, right? Sure. Um, how many atoms are there in the in the universe? You know, it's infinitesimal, you know, but um, not all of those atoms are parts of stars and planetary bodies and, you know, galaxies. So... Data helps when you're trying to do a deep dive. You know? sure. So I know who I'm selling cakes to. I have yeah. to find it. Yeah. But like maybe Colin used to be a Jordan head and now he's an Air Force One head. The data gives me that crispness. You know? But the data itself is never the full portrait of the person I'm trying to talk to. Yeah. So I find yeah. that data helps me when I'm trying to segment when I'm trying to bring in nuance yes. and sometimes as a point of corroboration to say, we understand why this guy subscribes to this newspaper because he's yes. also part of this political party and he visits his mom every Sunday. You're able to, it, data allows you to join the dots. Exactly. You know, yeah. If you've got it's, a good strategic yeah. framework. It's not, it's not the insight. Sometimes you take data exactly. to be the insight. Pieces of isn't it. It. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, I find that... One good thing about data is that it's there was this lazy way of strategizing before where we would just rehash the same strategic templates and appropriate them for different brands. And we're able to get away with that for as long as we could, you know, because we weren't answerable to the factual tidbits which data gives us. So now with analytics, with campaign tracking and with data, we, we almost held to a higher standard. You know, we, we almost held to a, a higher bar of having to justify why we do and why we bring the insights we do, you know, because it's almost, it's, we have to marry the data with the insights. We can't just run with our insights alone and we cannot just stop at data alone, you know. So it's a beautiful synthesis between client and agency to say, do we vibe your data, our insights? Are they giving the impression of the same person we're trying to, to interest with our offerings? So it's it's good for the game, but it's not the only game in town, data that is. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It makes perfect sense. It adds more dots to be connected to 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 form better puzzle pieces to communicating with your customer better. Exactly. So just to change course slightly, um, because we are faced with um, this pandemic at the moment and uh, due to social distancing, you and I are better off not in the same room. And that's why we're doing this online as we are today. So in a way to, yeah, to turn things around slightly, according to the Accenture COVID-19 consumer research report, most consumers prioritize basic needs in their shopping baskets at the moment. This has caused the demand for non-essentials to take a nosedive. As, as we can imagine. Seeing as this behavior is uh, set to continue beyond the pandemic, how can brands reflect this in their communication? Or have we started reflecting it or is this something that will start happening later? 
I think a uh, great question again. I mean, it's it's one for the for the history books. The consciousness is still not fully realized, but the shock waves have been so intense that everyone has been jolted into action. Not yes. all the action is meaningful. Not all of it is. I don't want to say well meant because that's a value judgment. You know, not brands in most case, they'll do something if the category does it right because you don't want to be the only guy that doesn't have you know, social distancing measures, you know? So yes. it's not always done right. It's not always bespoke to the brand. It's almost like a Me Tooism, you know? Yeah, we also have sanitizers on our tables, come eat. But I'd rather have that, the bandwagonism, than have um, my brand sitting on the sidelines and not being abreast with change, you know, because this is about health more than anything else. So I think that... COVID really is the one disruptor that really got everyone to go with the program. And that can only bode well for consumers. I think the differentiator is going to be in how brands are now going to purpose build the service offering with COVID in mind, right? And I'll make you an example. I mean, I dine a lot. My wife is a foodie. Yes. A lot of restaurant architecture is not conducive for COVID, right? There's so much wastage, you know, like you, you have to skip every alternating table. But the architects, the interior designers of the now, of the new normal, will be able to design with that in mind. You know, so the brands that will win will be the brands that will revamp with COVID in mind or set up businesses anew informed by the pandemic thinking. Because it's not going to be profitable to have 300 square acres and only utilize 150 you know it's just weird even the the user experience of being in a restaurant where the next table is 100 meters away it just doesn't feel like you know the service yeah, and the ambiance you you, yeah. you signed up for so it's about what will remain to be seen is how brands are going to take it in their stride and, and make covid consciousness part of the brand architecture and service offering. But for now, I must commend the brands for having set aside their needs to coin it and, you know, keeping people's safety top of mind, you know, even if it means not hitting their targets. That, I think, has found resonance with the consumers. And yeah, it, it, it's a it good move. It definitely has. Yeah, it definitely has. And, 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 and I think um, also, I mean, you see it across social media as well, where consumers almost call out brands for doing the opposite, where there's a consciousness now on the part of the consumer to call out their favorite brands or the brands they love for not being considerate at exactly. this time. That said, though, Colin, there's another thing that is fairly obvious when you start looking at the numbers, that, and that is that budgets for communication, for advertising, for many things have dropped across brands. And now with, as we've come to call it, the new normal, brands are having to communicate an either different message, a better message, an effective one, which means they are almost going off script onto something completely new. Are we prepared for this? Is this something that's you are seeing we are adjusting to from both a brand perspective and a creative thinking perspective? I mean, even with my day-to-day, -day, you know, dealings with the client and my teams, we normally start the year off with a set calendar that defines the run of show for the entire year. 
You know, sure. and sometimes collateral has already been spent on and been curated and been stored away in warehouses for a time when it will be required for, you know, miscellaneous through the line campaigns. So when this COVID came into view, it literally was a disruptor. I mean, I was just musing, and maybe it's a tad morbid with my CEO to say, I mean, everyone talks about wanting to disrupt the market, the category, but everyone could pull leaf out of COVID-19. Maybe that's a bit too harsh, but the, the profoundity in that is to say COVID was no respecter of anybody's 12-month, 24-month plan or rollout. And it almost, it, the good that's coming out of it, you know, is to say, if you're going to plan your campaign 12 months in advance, how respectful are you of the month-to-month changes, disruptions that you might need to respond with agility to. So what's come out is that we are not as agile as we thought we were as agencies. Brands are not as agile in their thinking and service offering as they mm-hmm. thought because mm-hmm. we're very season we're also very yeah. seasonal, isn't it? Like yeah. you prepare we- for spring, you prepare for winter exactly. for summer. Exactly. And this is done years in advance. I mean, if in January I'm talking about a December campaign, how in touch am I? Unless if you endowed with the powers of prophecy you can really meet the need because now all our plans are being rendered redundant. We've had to go back to the drawing board. That's why no one is sleeping. You know, that's why there aren't any budgets to be obtained because we've bought media in advance. And most of the media we've bought has come to waste because no one drove past my out of home. No, no one drove past my mural in Soweto because everyone was staying inside. Everyone was staying safe. It's like, oh, wow, that budget could have helped in my agile interventions, online, digital, experiential had I made accommodation for that. So there's nothing wrong with being prudent and having foresight, but there's a lot to be said about being agile. You know, maybe that model doesn't work. Maybe always not to be responsive, but maybe we ought to let, the the forecasting needs to be an ongoing thing as opposed to something that's set in place in Jan, then it's just autopilot till December. I find that that worked against us and it, it hit us sorely. Colin, thank you very much for making the time. That is Colin Makubela, the Executive Creative Director at Pasino Mix, currently working a lot with uh, McDonald's. Colin, I mean, I got a lot out of that. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I got out of that that sticks out, which you ended off with, is that as much as we talk about this new normal, um, agility and making disruption our normal is actually that normal. And we need to adjust to it as we go. And brands need to also prepare for that and not and almost not plan a year in advance for a campaign because that can put you out of touch. And COVID has proven that to all of us. Man, I couldn't have summed it better myself. <laughs> well, well-rounded, you know, well-rounded. Um, it's been fun. This has been so insightful. And yeah, thank you for having me here. I, I can't wait to tune in to more episodes like this one featuring other uh, industry leaders. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks, Colin. Thank you for listening to The Lead Creative. Did you get one insight that's worth sharing from this episode? Please share it with a friend or anyone who might like it. Pop me some of your ideas and innovative finds on Twitter at Mongezi. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This podcast is also hosted on iAfrican.com 
forward slash radio. You can find me and more of my content on mongezi.com. <laughs>